Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. We are here today with a special guest, and we're going to be talking about the Parent-Teacher Partnership. Today, I have Megan Lanouette with us, who is an educator and someone I have the utmost respect for. She actually was a teacher to my two oldest children, and I hope she'll also be teaching my two youngest kids as well down the road. She's in every way what I would call a 3D teacher. She teaches and engages with her students with dignity, direction, and deep connection. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Those are such kind words. (laughs) I absolutely mean them. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit about your background and how long you've been teaching and what grade you've been teaching primarily. And um, yeah, just kind of your background. Yeah. So I um, started teaching full-time in 2006. I got my undergraduate degree in San Diego and started student teaching down there in first grade. So I've always been really drawn to elementary education. And then I moved back to Seattle and started subbing, which was an invaluable experience because you just get to see everything and you get a taste for what the different school environments are like. And it kind of opened me up to other grades if I was to ever have that opportunity. But thankfully, I ended up in second grade and haven't left for like 14 years. So it's very much my like where I feel comfortable. And I think that particular age is a really special time for kids. And I feel really fortunate to get to be a part of that. It's a big change in kids' lives going from being little littles to being able to sort of navigate things more independently. And it's a great grade to teach. So I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. That's awesome. I'm glad because like I said, I'm hoping that my (laughs) other kids get to experience you as their teacher too. Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? Was this kind of like from your very early years as a child? Did you kind of think someday I'm going to work with kids. I want to be a teacher. You know, if you'd asked me that, I would have said no. But if you'd asked anybody who knew me, they probably would have said that was what I was going to do. Always loved being around kids. I was a babysitter. I taught ski school. And I just always found myself probably bossing people around is really what it would have come down to. And then my mom was a teacher. And so I sort of felt it was not very glamorous. And I sort of saw the like behind the scenes of all of it. And I wanted to do something in an office with adults, but I had no idea what it was. And then when it really came time to make a decision, I sort of had to do some soul searching and said, you know, this thing that I've been doing my whole life naturally is probably what I should make a career in. And and then ever since then, it was that was all I ever wanted to do. So I'm glad that I took some time to actually be introspective there and make it the right choice. Yeah. Well, I'm happy too. Like I said, because I'm glad that we've gotten to experience you as a teacher. So what do you love most about being a teacher? 
Oh my gosh, there's so many things. I think one of the things that's uh, the biggest challenge, but also the best thing about it is that it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. There's never two days that are the same. You can have a day with, you know, a kajillion little crises, but then also all these huge wins. And, you know, you impact people in a way that I don't even think you know that it's happening, but sort of sending that out into the universe and the, the deep connections that you have with kids you know, I look at pictures of students that I taught 10 or 11 years ago, and that connection never goes away. You know, they're always a part of who I am. And I think in some way, maybe, you know, our time together will be a part of who they are when they grow up. So there's that piece of it. There's also the, it just in terms of being connected to a job where it's constantly changing and evolving a little bit like medicine. It's not like there's one way to do it and that's the end. You know, know, there's constantly new research. There's constantly new strategies. There's constantly new, you know, research on brain development and how kids learn. And so I think I love that side of teaching that's really evolving and um, dynamic. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not static at all. It's a lot like parenting, right? Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> a lot like parenting. There's been so much that we've learned through the years, again, because of all advances that right. happened to studies, brain development, brain science. It's like open this whole another world of understanding child development and how that impacts teaching or parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about the other side? What do you think are the hardest parts about being a teacher? You know, and I, this is probably true for a lot of careers, but truly you're never done. Like there is never a day where you're like, well, I reached every child and I, you know, got them to the place where they need to be and I can sleep well. I think every teacher knows the feeling of, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and worrying about a student or on your commute, you're thinking about one of your kids and something that you need to do for them. And more realistically, you're thinking about five different kids and what you need to do for them. And so that's, that can be really challenging because there's never that sense of satisfaction where it's like, well, I did it because you just don't. But I think, you know, you do the best you can every day. And then there are those sort of moments of you know, glimmer where you're like, oh my gosh, I reached somebody. I got through them. I helped them over a hurdle. And, um, and it's always great to see kids grow up and see how they've, um, overcome challenges. And so that can be a very fulfilling piece of it. But when you're in the, you know, battle zone, (laughs) it can be really hard. Yeah. I remember back to when I was a teacher, kind of like you were talking about feeling like, you know, oh my gosh, if I reach these kids or whatever. And sometimes it's feeling like with a particular class, a particular group of kids I had, I had some kids that were so high needs that I was just like, you know, they, each one of those children counted almost like as five of the rest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in this class, and you know, when I taught fifth grade, I usually had 30 kids in my class by myself with no aid, you know, maybe three or four of those kids were super high needs. And I would just felt sometimes like, oh, gosh, I c- cannot meet the needs of every child in this classroom. And that's really frustrating as a teacher because you want to so badly. So sometimes it's just kind of like part of the, the challenge that's almost un- insurmountable for being a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely years where you feel like maybe there were missed opportunities or things that you didn't get around to. That might not be the best way of explaining it, but you know, there are classes where there's so much need and you really do the best you can to get to everybody and to help everybody to sort of the next step of their learning. And sometimes there's kids where you just, you know, you couldn't do everything you felt like you could have. And 
that's, you know, I think a lot of teachers are like that where they sort of beat themselves up over not being able to do everything for everyone. But I also think, you know, to be realistic about it, you know, you can't. So you you do the best you can every Mm -hmm. year. And then, you know, know that whatever you did was hopefully impactful in a positive way. Right. But it also indicates obviously how much you care about these children. They're not, it's not just your job. No, this is a really, really important relationship. Um, That year that you have those kids with you, it's a relationship just like, you know, parenting that's lifelong, but this, this um, relationship you develop with the kids as a teacher, it is impactful and it's important. And you, you get really intimate during that course of that year that they're in your classroom. You really do. And somebody asked me recently, you know, how long do you think you'll do this job for? And truly, I think as long as any teacher is going to, is continuing to strive to reach the kids and to learn new strategies and to learn new approaches, you know, as long as you're doing that, you can keep doing it. But I think the day you stop really investing and stop trying new tactics and get stale, then you're not going to reach kids that way. Time to move on. Yep. Time to move on. (laughs) So in the 14 years since you've been teaching, do you feel like the kids have changed? Sometimes I hear people say that like, oh, kids are different these days. And if you feel like that or, or whatever, do you, do you feel like you've had to adjust your teaching to meet the needs of today's kids? I absolutely do. I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in the last probably five years is the amount of anxiety that kids come in with. And it's really like tangible for some kids. It's when I first started seeing it, it was, we, you know, didn't necessarily have a name to put with it. And it felt sort of strange labeling kids as having um, these issues with anxiety, but really, and I don't know what to chalk it up to if it's, you know, the technology or, or what the reasoning is, but there are so many more kids these days who really seem to be internalizing stress. And I think we've worked really hard as a school and I think teachers, you know, nationwide are recognizing that this is a need is being much more um, sort of pointed about teaching things like mindfulness, teaching kids strategies to cope with stress and anxiety, teaching kids about, you know, growth mindset and being able to overcome uh, obstacles. And um, even though it's a huge process for kids and they're going to reach different, you know, periods of their lives where these things impact them just by who they are, maybe by nature. It seems to me that whatever's going on in the world right now is triggering a lot of um, stress and anxiety with kids. And that's, you know, scary, especially when you're talking about seven and eight year olds. Mm -hmm. So I think we've definitely done a lot more work with um, teaching kids about breathing, teaching kids about taking some time just for quiet, which is not always the nature of schools. You know, we're very, we've got so much to get into a day and so much material to cover and there's so much pressure to get it all done. But the gift of 10 minutes of meditation or breathing or quiet or just doing something that the kids like is huge. And it, it makes them better learners. It makes them better thinkers. It makes them better friends. And I think it helps them cope with the stress of, you know, being a kid today. I love hearing that because I think about, um, as you were saying, with this kind of increase in what you're observing in terms of anxiety, and I completely concur as a parent coach, I hear about that constantly with my clients I work with, that their children are just full of anxiety. And I think recognizing as a school and you particularly as a teacher, recognizing that you need to address it, that a child who is full of 
anxiety and alarm is not going to be learning. Right. So if you're right. not providing um, opportunities for them to kind of center themselves or kind of calm down their nervous systems, they're going to be walking around unable to learn. And so taking the time is it's so valuable. It's not a waste of right. time because now they're going to be able to actually learn. Yeah. One of the things that I've found, you know, the most helpful with, especially with kids who come into the classroom with any sense of anxiety is not trying to change that right off the bat. You know, the first thing that has to happen is building a rapport with a kid and letting them know that I care about them and that I care about them as an individual and not just, you know, one of 26 kids. And from there, we can start using other strategies like a little bit of coaching, a lot of humor to sort of help kids to not put so much pressure on themselves all the time and to learn how to cope with um, stressful situations. So that's, you know, in my experience, what's been the most helpful is, is just sort of starting from a very like simple foundation of, I want to get to know you. I want you to trust me. I want you to feel like I'm here not to judge you, not to discipline you, but to support you. That's awesome. And that reminds me of, you know, one of my big components of the 3D parent, which is fostering that deep connection. So you kind of walked right into one of the questions I wanted to ask, <laughs> which is you gave, you gave a couple examples there, but what are other ways that you foster a deep connection with each of your students and as a class of a whole and as part of the full school community? So how do you do that, Megan, in your classroom? <laughs> I mean, I think it, it goes both ways. On one hand, I really want to get to know the kids is for who they are in a very like whole child way. You know, I see them for a huge portion of the day, but that's not the only person they are, you know, whether it's being really interested in animals or Taekwondo or whatever, you know, I have to show some interest in whatever they're doing and get to know what matters to them. And likewise, I try to really share that in myself too. Kids do not respond when you're just like the talking head in the classroom at mm -hmm. all. Like I have to share with them what, you know, obviously age appropriate, but what I'm going through too, oftentimes in the mornings when we're all sort of gathered on the rug, I'll say, Oh, you guys, you know, is getting out of the house, like the worst in your house too. And then we sort of have a conversation about like my child today threw a fit and I was so frustrated and just to sort of open up to them and make them realize that I'm a person too. And then they feel comfortable sharing their stories with me. I think along with that goes some humility. I mean, I truly don't believe that a teacher is above showing when they're wrong. You know, I think it, it is a good model for kids. You know, if I get frustrated or lose my temper or, you know, mess up in a lesson or whatever, I think it's really important to model like, you guys, I, you know, screwed up and we all do it. And I think it helps to, for them to see me as a person. And I also think it gives them the permission to do it themselves when the time comes. Um, nobody's above you know, own apology. And I think mm -hmm. we all need to realize that, um, you know, it, it makes us human and it shows that we're learning. And if I can model that for them in myself, then I'm hoping that they feel more comfortable doing it themselves. So those are the, some of the major things. I get it. And I'm thinking about, you know, in terms of what I encourage my 
my parents that I work with as a parent coach, very much in line with that. You know, we're not perfect. We're not perfect parents. You're not a perfect teacher. And taking responsibility when we have messed up to go and apologize and take responsibility and to not say, but you guys are being really obnoxious today. Right. <laughs> right? Because they don't deserve to be treated. Right. Dignity. They don't deserve to be treated disrespectfully when we lose our cool. Right. Right. That's, right. That's not, we can't put that on them. We need right. to take responsibility and you're right. Modeling that and they learn, oh, okay, you can do that. And that's how you do it is that really helps in terms of when you're trying to build and foster a deep connection. If you've done anything to damage that connection, you go and you take responsibility and you repair that when you can. Another thing I was thinking about, about you specifically that you're so great at in terms of making each child really feel significant in your classroom. Um, you're a big one for nicknames. I remember my firstborn, Sophie, Sophie McGopher. Sophie McGopher. Sophie McGopher. You were the first <laughs> teacher to ever kind of come up with a nickname. She's always kind of complained that all the kids in my family, they all have nicknames, but she, her name is Sophie and it's not a nickname for Sophia. She's just Sophie. So I think you were the first person outside our family that came up with a real nickname and she loved that. And that really helped her feel connected and seen and recognized. It was kind of silly um, and cute. And it really kind of helped right out of the bat her form that bond with you. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's always a couple kids in every class who come out of it with a nickname. And I have to, especially the ones in the beginning who are a little hesitant and are like, why is she calling me this crazy thing? <laughs> and I say, listen, it means that that it's, it's a badge of honor. It means that, you know, you and I have formed a really deep connection. And, you know, of course, if a kid didn't like it, you wouldn't, you do, know, it, of you course. wouldn't do it. But, <laughs> um, but usually I can read it pretty well. And it's something that never goes away. I still see her and call her that. So, yeah, so. I love it. And she loves it. <laughs> Hey there, parent. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Tapping into now, you kind of recognizing um, that kind of like intuition that a child might need some extra support, some mm -hmm. extra encouragement, some redirection, or maybe a new approach to how you're doing something academically or dealing with something on a behavioral level. How do you do that? How do you recognize when a child needs that? What, what kind of happens for you? What process do you go through as a teacher? Well, knowing the kids helps a lot. Just that initial, you know, like I said, that foundation of knowing a kid, knowing, you know, what their sort of typical behavior might be. And if a kid starts to act differently, if a kid starts to withdraw or look for attention in negative ways, those are definitely some signs that it's time to sort of dig in a little bit and see what's, you know, going on. And oftentimes also, it's not just me, you know, there's thankfully, especially at the school that I'm at, um, there's a real team approach to it. So we communicate a lot as educators. So all the different people who are seeing this kid on a day-to-day -day basis, I might not pick up on something, but maybe the music teacher does or the PE teacher does, or, you know, the recess duty teacher does. And I think having that line of communication open. I mean, we are not in a vacuum and having working as a team to um, help kids and to recognize if there might be something going on is critical. So, you know, hearing other people's opinions, if there is some little thing, bringing it up to another teacher and sort of asking for their feedback. Have you been noticing that so-and-so, you know, does, isn't playing with their friends anymore or whatever it might be. And then, you know, sometimes also for me, 
in my experience is just stepping back and realizing when a strategy isn't working. I think sometimes we get very sort of linear about how, you know, well, I'm going to do this and then this is, it's going to have this result. And when you don't get that result to be able to step back and say, okay, this isn't working. So I need to take a different approach. And sometimes the approach has to be really outside the box. And I mean, that's one of the fun things about being a teacher is being able to try, you know, totally outside the box strategies with kids. And oftentimes those are the things that work the best for a period of time. And then you have to try something different. But yeah, I think those are the the major things that I look for is just the change in behavior, the change of engagement. You know, lots of kids have a variety of different academic struggles. And as long as they're making forward progress, and as long as they're engaged in the process, then, you know, we're in good shape. I think it's when kids don't want to engage in the process anymore, or stop making progress. That's when we sort of our high alert goes on. Okay, that's great to hear. And then you've kind of tapped into a little bit, but um, in terms of kind of trying to engage with a child who might be struggling, but just in general, how do you typically approach discipline in your classroom in a, in a manner that I know, because I've been in there, is respectful? <laughs> I mean, I think on one hand, it's, it's an open line of communication as far as what the expectations are and why we have expectations. You know, I'm not there to mandate things for no reason at all. I think the kids have a good sense of when things are off kilter, whether it's because of safety or whether it's because of just having something be conducive to a good learning environment. So I think setting really clear expectations right off the bat is important. And then, you know, when it does come time to discipline, it needs to be a conversation. And I think that this is sort of, it sounds trite, but the, the punishment has to fit the crime. You know, mm-hmm. a while ago, stop taking recess away from kids because I'm like, it just doesn't add up, you know? And so one of the major ways that I've, and I hate to call it discipline now, but I think follow up, I guess, is more communication with parents because I think, you know, kids really want to do the right thing. They really want to. And whether they're having a hard time doing it, I think nine times out of 10, kids want to make you happy. They want to do the right thing. And so, you know, saying your parents and I are having this conversation about how to support you in making better choices and bringing the kids in on the conversation too, you know, usually, especially if a kid's having lots of discipline problems, I'll put it on their lap and say, what ideas do you have to make yourself more successful or to help you, you know, get along in this environment better. And, you know, I think even just having that agency, kids are more likely to, to want to make changes if they have a sense of ownership. And I really like what you say there in terms of like most kids, they, they actually want to behave. They actually want to do good. There's something for some kids that's getting in the way. And so acknowledging that like, I know you're having a hard time, or I know you don't mean to, you know, blurt out all the time and distract the whole class. You're obviously having a challenge with that right now. Let's try and get to the root, figure out why that's happening and, and see if we can problem solve. We need another spot in the classroom. Maybe, you know, there's something else going on there and looping in the parents is exactly where I want to go next in terms of the conversation. And also a parent coach, I firmly believe that the parent teacher relationship is definitely a partnership because, you know, we're all in this together. You know, you're with our child during the day and then we need to kind of all be a team and have, make sure our kids know that we're all on the same team. So from your perspective, is there any information 
that you wish that parents would share with you kind of right at the beginning of the year? You know, if there's anything going on for parents or families, is there anything you wish like, you know, I need to know right away to try and be um, kind of have the best chance of being able to connect with your child and kind of reach them this year? I think, uh, I mean, you sort of said this perfectly. There is no amount of information that's too small for a teacher to have about a kid. And I think a lot of parents try to edit themselves and they think, well, maybe that's not important or, you know, maybe she doesn't need to know this. But truly, in order for me to do my job the best way possible, I need to know as much as possible. And especially when we're dealing with kids, they internalize so much. And so whether it's a parent being out of town, whether it's uh, the loss of a pet, whether it's a move, a job change, you know, a bedroom change. I mean, there are so many things that can impact kids on, if it seems like a micro level, it might actually impact them in a big way. Sleep, you know, I have parents who sometimes email me and say, I don't know if you need to know this, but so-and-so had a terrible night's sleep last night. And that is such important information for me because then I can handle that child differently that day than saying, you know, we need to figure out how to make you do this because when I'm tired, I can't do my best either, you know? So I think all of that stuff is really important. I would say, you know, no detail is too small when it comes to, you know, sharing with your teacher. Thank you for reinforcing that. I so often I'll be working with a parent coach client and I'm always like, well, have you talked to the teacher? Does the teacher know this is going on? You know, your child's teacher know that every single night your child is dissolving into tears on the floor, throwing tents. Does your child's teacher know this? Oh, I don't want to bother them. Oh, they've got so much going on already. I feel so bad. Teachers aren't paid enough to deal with this. I'm like, true. But, <laughs> but also at the same time, this, they need to know. And your That's child, what helps us do our job. Right. Your child needs them to know this. They have to be looped in. And like you said, sometimes parents edit themselves because they think, oh gosh, I don't want my kid to be labeled. I don't want my kid to go in right out of the gate with already kind of like the teacher being like, oh, this is going to be a problem child. No, that way the parent letting the teacher know what's going on from a child helps the teacher right away become part of that um, solution or that team player. It's important for the kid to know that we're all on the same side here, which is team child problem solve. I know, again, going back to my own experience with you, when my son, my second born had you, the first part of the year, you're out on maternity leave. And my son had a rough the second grade that year. And it's, he was basically just class clowning himself, silly, and getting into trouble a lot because he was constantly being silly. And I remember like, your first week back from maternity leave, I'm like, I need a conference right away. And you're like, okay. And like, we sat down and I just gave you the full lowdown on here's what's going on. Here's what we've done so far. Here's what works really well with Scooter. And here are some things that will just get him to shut down. And oh my gosh, he immediately, you were like, you're my right hand man and you're going to be my buddy. And you're going to sit right next to me here, right? I need you close to my desk because you're going to be my helper. And right away, he felt so important. He immediately started bonding with you and feeling like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a special helper to, to Ms. Lanowich, you know, and, and he felt so important. And right away, you kind of, I kind of looped you in. I'm like, all right, here's what's going on for him. He doesn't want to be the class clown. He doesn't want to blurt out. He doesn't want to get in trouble. He's kind of just having some impulse control stuff going on and he needs redirection. He needs to kind of like have you kind of make the eye contact with him and put that hand on the shoulder, whatever it does to kind of help him know, you know, I'm here to help you. This is tough for you. So I'm going to help you. I'm on your side. Not, okay, now we're going to go ahead and have you know, some type of a, you know, argument or meltdown, or you can get into trouble or something like that. Well, and I, I hundred percent agree with you. And I think that kids can get stuck in a narrative and in a loop and especially the 
beginning of the year, if, you know, if a parent comes in and says, listen, you know, last year was rough. They were getting in trouble all the time. And, you know, kids start to, it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think if you as a teacher can sort of shake that up a little bit and change the narrative for them and sort of allow them to see themselves differently, it can be hugely impactful. I've had kids in the past who, you know, came in and they sort of had already had the story written for them, you know, whether it was by their peers or teachers or other parents. And, you know, the best I can is to try to engage with them in a totally different way than they've been engaged with before and sort of build a a new relationship with student teacher because, you know, kids, they get used to something and they get used to being the bad one or the loud one or the silly one or whatever. And, and to sort of allow them to break outside of that is important. Yeah, definitely. And you definitely helped that. It just turned him completely around. His school year ended up being very positive and it started off not so much. <laughs> um, so now, right now, this time of year, we're kind of at conference time for a lot of schools. For some schools, they've already, they just happen. Others are going to go into conference time in the next month or so. So from, from your perspective, that beginning of the year conference, what is the goal of those conferences? What are you hoping to accomplish? And what are you hoping that parents are bringing to the table at those conferences? I think the conferences for me are real sort of jumping off point. I think, you know, we, we have conferences usually at the beginning of the school year. Some schools have them later on in the spring, but I think it's a chance for us to say, all right, I've had a month and a half or so to get to know your child. Here's some sort of information that I can share with you about how they're doing this year. But really my driving conversation during a conference is tell me about your child. Tell me about how they're feeling about school. When they come home from school, how how are they saying it's going? And then from there, the conversation continues throughout the year. It's not over after conferences. It's really just set aside time for us to get that conversation going with, you know, myself having to sort of had, had a little time to get to know the child. And then we can move forward from there. But by no means is it sort of a one and done um, moment with the parent teacher. It's about establishing that relationship and then coming up with plans on how to support the child and then revisit those plans as the year goes on. It's a great opportunity and I'm glad we have them, but by no means is it sort of the end of the conversation. Right. They're so short. They're over like, they're so short. I know. They're so short. I always leave wanting more. (laughs) No, I know. And it's funny as, as a teacher, and I always have to tell myself this, you know, you go from conference to conference, back to back. And, you know, in my, in our case, it's after you've taught a half a day. And so you're already a little sort of like, you know, burnt out. And, but you're talking about someone's whole world in those 20 minutes. And so to give it the attention that it needs, you know, you do your best as a teacher to try to sort of give it your all to every single parent who, you know, they could talk about their child all day long and you want to be able to talk about their child with them all day long, but you have to jump switch gears immediately to another family. And so I think to say like, this is going to be a year long discussion and we can continue this conversation um, as we go. Here's some sort of jumping off points. Tell me about how your child's feeling and let's, you know, not let this conversation die here. 
Definitely. And I think letting parents know that it's okay to reach out and right. have an email conversation or request another conference that I think uh, sometimes parents think like, oh no, I get, I already have my conference. That, that's it. <laughs> you know? No, no, that's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's great that you let parents know that, that you're, this is again, part of that partnership, part of we're working together here. And that goes on all year long. This is just like kind of the first chance to officially set, you know, touch base. Mm -hmm. In some cases you may have already met with some parents, but for the majority of the parents, this is the first time we really sat down to discuss how things are going so far. Um, so what's the best way from your perspective? What's the best way that a parent can support their child for an optimum school experience from home? What's the best way they can support? Well, we've said this sort of already before in this conversation, but um, realizing that the teacher and the family is a team. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's who I student taught for, who is an incredible master teacher. I mean, to talk about a natural, she was incredible. And she said it once that if parents and the, and the teachers aren't talking, it's like trying to build something with a door in between you and trying to like have two people building the same thing, but like not communicating at all about it. And really you know, the kids are in school for eight hours a day. We are a huge chunk of the child's life and their families are their whole life. And so it has to be a team um, endeavor. It cannot be like an us versus them kind of thing, because that is, that gets no one anywhere. So um, I think we, we have to talk a lot about, we have to communicate about the good things and the bad things. I think one of the things that I've tried to do as I've, you know, become a more, I guess, veteran teacher is to reach out to parents just as much about positive things as negative things. Parents always need to hear the good stuff or a funny story or whatever, and to build that connection too. And from a parent's perspective, I think, you know, making sure that you're keeping that line of communication open, that you're recognizing it, that the teacher wants your child to succeed and, you know, helping to come up with strategies too. If, you know, a child and a teacher are having a difficult relationship that can sometimes happen. I mean, we're all just people and, you know, sometimes there can be a little friction between, you know, child and teacher. And I think for a parent to kind of come in and say, you know, in the past, this has really like worked well for my kid. And here's, here's some ways that you might be able to connect with them or reach them. I think as long as everyone's going into it with sort of a positive outlook and a recognition that everyone wants what's best for these kids, you know, That's the teacher true. does, the parents do, we're all after the same thing. Absolutely. One of the things I encourage, um, that I do myself, and I also encourage um, my parent coach clients to do also is to keep in mind that you're again, part of this partnership, you're there to kind of help the teacher and the child, you know, help deepen their connection as well. And so kind of like you're saying, I love that you say that you like to share, you know, stories, positive things also, as well as the things that are challenging, but it goes the other way too. I encourage my parent coach clients to, you know, share a quick story with a teacher about like, oh my gosh, my kid came home and was so excited about the science experiment we did. My kid is loving this read aloud book we talked about for so long yesterday to kind of share those things that they're hearing at home that have really connected with their child to kind of help that relationship kind of grow. So it doesn't seem like it's just the parent coming, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, right. but actually sharing with the teacher when there's been some real positive things shared at home or things that the kid really liked or connected with. Nothing makes a teacher feel better than hearing a parent say that they're talking about school at home. It's like, oh my gosh, it's all worth it, you know? Absolutely. So any specific activities that you would recommend outside of the school setting that would help foster a deeper connection with our child 
and or support their school work experience? Any tips or ideas there? You know, it's, there's so many different things and there's not like one answer for it, but I think, you know, learning about what your child is learning about at school, whether that's reading the teacher's newsletters or looking at your child's homework and finding ways to incorporate that and make real life connections with your child um, at home. My daughter came home the other day and was super excited about Balto, the sled dog. And, you know, and she had like heard about it at the library and then she, you know, wanted to watch the, I was like, well, there's a movie about it. Let's watch the movie about it. And then, you know, I did a little more research and found out that, you know, one of the guys who has worked with him is buried in Everett. And I was like, maybe we could go see his gravestone someday. And, and just to sort of broaden things, I think is really important for kids. They spend so much of their time learning about stuff at school. And if it just ends when they walk out of that building, that doesn't teach them anything about you know, being lifelong learners, about fostering curiosity. And so, you know, if your child learning about whatever it is in science, finding ways to, to deepen that understanding and to show them how to go out into the world then and, you know, find more information. And that is a, that's a skill we want all of our kids to have, um, not just in school. It has to be, you know, throughout their day. I love that. I love that idea. And that's something that I'm going to put into practice right away because, you know, I've got four kids and is learning lots of stuff. And I was like, that's great. Okay. Moving on with life. But it's true. You know, if, if they're wanting to tell me about something they learned in school, that's a great opportunity to connect with them. And also at the same time, kind of encourage them to go a little deeper and get a little bit more curious about what these topics are and extend their learning. It's, it's a great opportunity. Don't miss it. It's a great tip. I need to work on that one myself. So you've mentioned and referred a couple of times the fact that you yourself are a mom. You've got a little one at home. Has your perspective changed at all since um, becoming a mom in terms of uh, what you think about in terms of the parent-teacher relationship or school or um, just viewing it from now the other side? Also being a parent now that your daughter is in school, do you do anything or approach anything differently as a teacher now that you also are a mom or just, again, any bit of a, any shifting of your um, thought processes there? Yes, absolutely. And <laughs> I, you know, I taught for a long time before I was a mom and I never thought I had it all figured out, but there were definitely some areas that I wasn't aware of. Um, one of which, and this is, um, this was a real learning opportunity for me was, you know, I have a child who is, um, has a lot of spunk and she's not the easiest kid in the whole world, especially in a school atmosphere. And when she was very little, this was when she was in like preschool, she was a biter and I would come to school every single day with just like a ball, a stomach of nerves. And every day there in her cubby would be the note that would be the incident report. And I was just like, the shame was awful. And I would like, I mean, I think I cried at her school like three or four times because I felt so helpless and I wasn't there. I couldn't do anything about it when she was biting. And I had a couple different experiences with teachers that really taught me a lot. There were some teachers who sort of put it on me and they would say, you know, well, she's got to stop biting. And I was kind of like, ah, but you know, but how? And then I had other teachers who said, you know, she's got to stop biting and here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how you can support what we're going to do. And do you have any ideas? And to sort of feel that it was a collaboration as opposed to them just sort of like dumping it on my lap and saying, you know, like you need to make your child change, which, you know, none of us can do, especially outside the, you know, the four walls of the school. So much more 
more, it was such a more positive experience and it really did help my daughter to make some changes with her biting. And so that was definitely an experience that now when I, you know, I'm approaching a parent with a problem, I always try to say, listen, here's what's going on. Here's our first step. Like, here's what, here's what the plan is. Here's what we're going to do first. And, you know, here's what you can do to help or what ideas do you have as far as how we can approach this, as opposed to just sort of like handing it to them and expecting them to fix all of it. Cause that's, that doesn't feel good as a parent because, you know, parents are going through this for the first time, usually with a kid, an age, an individual child, and they're just as bewildered and perplexed as, you know, sometimes um, the kids are themselves. And I think, you know, as teachers, we have this opportunity as people who have a lot of experience with certain age groups to say, you know, this is typical, or this might not be typical, but here's how we're going to, you know, help your family to solve it. That has been a big learning opportunity for me. And then I think also sort of like you said before with conferences, you know, parents can talk about their child all day long. It's, it's your whole life is your child or your children. And I think now as a parent, I'm able to sort of see it through that lens a little bit more. And, you know, like report cards, for example, now I try to read all my report cards before I send them home as if I were that child's parent. And, you know, what questions would I have? What concerns would I have? And that way I can sort of A, be prepared as the teacher if a parent comes to me with a question or concern, or B, try to make it more clear for the parent so that nothing comes as a shock. So those are two, two Mm -hmm. big things, but I think also recognizing, and this may just be sort of, as I straddle the lines between teacher and parent is your child's going to have so many interactions with so many different people in their lives. And not every person is going to see, you know, the sides of them that you appreciate, but maybe they'll see a side of them that, you know, has been untapped. And so it's such a gift for our kids to get to have experiences with lots of different teachers because every teacher they have will teach them something. And sometimes it's about themselves. Sometimes it's about dealing with people that are, you know, they might not want to deal with. And sometimes it's academics and usually it's a combination of all of those. Wow. Well, Megan, you and everybody else in your field as a teacher, you all are my heroes. The job is so challenging and I know it's very rewarding in a lot of ways, but it also, it's really a calling and um, you do it not because obviously you want to make a lot of money. You do it because you're passionate about children and you're passionate about um, interacting with them and you're um, and helping them grow and flourish. And that's so much about parallels, what parents are, um, kind of the perspective they are in. But again, like you said so many times, you know, this teachers spend a lot of time with our kids. So it's really important that we kind of build a really strong foundation and relationship with our children's teachers each year. And so that we can kind of help that partnership and kind of together work as a team to help our children kind of reach their potential. And you're such an inspirational example of doing that. So thank you so much for giving us your time today and um, your perspective as a teacher and also as a mom. It was really, really interesting. And I got a lot that I'm going to go away with and kind of think about with my own kids. So thanks so much again. Thank you, Bevan. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. 
If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the 3D parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D parent podcast.